Hi, I'm Chip in Durham. I'm Erica in Edmonton. And I'm Shannon in Durham. And you're listening to The Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 1, The Gathering. Woo! (laughs) Sorry, I'm really excited, you guys. Welcome aboard to the first real episode of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, wherein Shannon, Erica, and I escape from the world of Doctor Who and dive into the jump gate and rewatch one of the greatest science fiction television series of all time. Am I right, ladies? Yes. lutely damn it. <laughs> we are going to get the phrase absofragenlutely damn it into every one of these episodes, I promise you. <laughs> I think so. Challenge accepted. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So if you have been with us from the very beginning, way back one episode ago in our zero episode, uh, I gave you a homework assignment to watch the first episode of Babylon 5, actually the pilot movie, The Gathering. And... By virtue of listening to this podcast, you have clearly accepted this contract between us. And you probably have some questions about what the hell you've just watched. And is it any good? And will it get better? Or will it get worse? Did you love The Gathering? Let us know when you uh, visit us on our website at b5audioguide.com or let us know on Twitter at b5audioguide. But... Let's find out what my co-host thought of The Gathering. For Shannon, it was the first time watching it in years. And all of a sudden, you're starting on the Babylon 5 rewatch completely fresh. What did you think about the first episode of Babylon 5? Reminded, looking back, it reminded me somewhat of trying to get a very big ship started. Very heavy and ponderous and... <laughs> The momentum's going to get there eventually, but it it was somewhat slow going at first. Um, they had the disadvantage compared to Next Generation that it always got compared to, or Deep Space Nine, in that JMS was having to set up an entire new universe and an entire new world. Um, we they didn't, didn't even have to deal with that with Next Generation because everybody knew Star Trek. Exactly. Yep. That we had no references. We you know, couldn't assume the Federation, couldn't assume the wormholes for Deep Space Nine. It was all brand new. And he had to somehow get that world built at the same time as the plot line was going and as he was establishing the characters. So there were places I I admire that it didn't feel like there were huge exposition dumps, so to speak. But the constant small inserts through the dialogue at times made things drag a bit. If this had been the very first thing that you had seen of Babylon 5 without, you know, having to deal with the fact that you had a husband who was already deeply (laughs) into the show and all this stuff, would you have come back for more? I would have. You know, even while there was a lot being built, the things that were starting to come from that build were showing some very interesting ideas, things that, you know, you did not see in as many... um, in many of the sci-fi sh- shows of the time. Unfortunately, with Trek being everyone's end-all, be-all, or Star Wars, and you know, while both of those have great things going for them, they're also both essentially 
clean. They're sanitized. Um, I felt like B5 was the first time we got a hint of um, dystopias, of, you know, conflicts that weren't going to be wrapped up in a neat bow at the end of the episode. Things that were broken that were going to need to be fixed. There was a meatiness to it that um, I think stood out right away. And it was also, I think, beneficial um, in the fact that there was a very solid mystery plot to introduce it all. Uh, JMS's writing skills from previous uh, shows, previous series, I think um, he played to his strengths. <laughs> Holla at Murder, She Wrote. Woo! Yep. <laughs> I, I, I wonder what it would be like for Jessica Fletcher to come off of the... Um, <laughs> You know, I, walk down the Zocalo, you know? I could totally see that. I think you could absolutely 100% drop Jessica Fletcher in there. And I think she probably would have gotten this mystery solved even faster than Commander Sinclair. <laughs> I'm going to make a comparison that I have no right to make because I have never seen a single episode of it. But it's almost like everything I've heard of Blake Seven. Okay, uh, in I, w- terms I will of... tell you if you're right or you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you will. So um, Shannon was talking about how clean Star Wars and Star Trek are and all that stuff. Uh, everything I've heard about Blake 7 was that you had a lot of shades of gray, a lot of morally ambiguous characters, and it certainly didn't uh, end tidally, at least if you look at the entire series. There's a certain Britishness to Babylon 5, I think. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? I think you're 100% correct, actually, about the Britishness for sure. I know the show was was quite a hit in the UK. And I think, you know, I hadn't thought about the Blake 7 connection, possibly because I just rewatched Firefly not too long ago. And there's almost a one-to-one connection there with Blake 7 to Firefly. There are a lot of uh, similarities. Whereas here, it's maybe not quite so blatant in your your face but now that you point it out and think about it i would say i would say yes this is definitely a world that's a little more realistic and like you said has a lot of shades of gray and blake seven was absolutely that i mean you're you're following a a bunch of sort of rogues and reprobates around on that show and and here you you have some of those as well as some people who sort of fall on the uh the the positive side of the line too what else did uh, struck you shannon right away you see some really darn good acting, I think, from several of from several of the actors. Um, a couple of times it struck me um, just how well Mira Furlan could get her emotions through that god awful makeup that the Gathering uh, showed. You know, luckily they revamped the the makeup of the character and um, toned it down quite a bit. Malari, seeing you know at times, you know, he really looks like this you know sort of weak little politician that has no power and then turning around and putting a brave face on it and being the, you know, the happy-go-lucky gambler to, you know, his discussion with Garibaldi there, there, the, um, of his grandfather's history. There, there's, there's right away just all these shades for so many of these characters, for so many of these actors, that they're, that they're able to show hints of what's to come, even in this, you know, very first limited couple of hours that doesn't have a whole lot of time for character development yet. I have almost watched as much as uh, Erica has re- recently. My rewatch stalled out uh, early in, se- in Series 5. But when I watch The Gathering, I feel like I'm watching... I'm getting this incredible concentration of character. All of these characters have a moment to shine, a moment to tell you who they are, not just not just in monologue, but in the way that they deal with each other. 
And especially in this version of The Gathering, the um, the TNT uh, producer's cut, the, the characterization is so strong. That's the thing that uh, gets me past the weak makeup for Delenn and Jakar. Um, that gets me past that weird Muppet dude in the tram um, <laughs> when uh, when Garibaldi and Sinclair are talking about the early stages of the investigation. Uh, what is that thing? There are so many more Muppety dudes in the original cut of this, so you're, <laughs> you're lucky you watched this. And they're not even Farscape Muppety. They're not even Dark Crystal Muppety. They're Sesame Street Muppety. <laughs> Which, don't get me wrong, I adore Sesame Street, but... On Sesame Street, I don't necessarily Time and a place. Space. Yeah, <laughs> Time exactly. and a place. Exactly. Yeah. There's an, another piece of the Britishness almost, uh, the British sci-fi uh, feel I get from this. It, it's, it's a little stagey. It's a little theatrical. Uh, and that's something that goes through a the little? whole run of the series. But, <laughs> but I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with sort of that sort of heightened space opera-ness to the show. I would argue um, that that even other shows at that time, that, look at Star Trek Next Generation. I mean, you have Patrick Stewart. You don't get a lot stagier than that. And that is not at all a condemnation. I think it's fantastic. I, I love Captain Picard. But I think it's it's still on, on space opera shows at that time. That was kind of the expected norm of the way that you played things. Right. Um, you know, it's not like classic Doctor Who with the three cameras and the Everything's running at once and all the stuff, but there's no shaky cam happening here. This is straightforward early '90s sci-fi television storytelling, and it and it works for me surprisingly well. Erica, when was the last time before this that you watched The Gathering? I saw the TNT cut. Um, I want to say it was a, like a year and a half ish ago. Oh. So that's not a long time. No, no, not that long. And, and what did you watch this time? <laughs> this time, I actually am a glutton for punishment. I watched both, pretty much back to back. Yeah. Both, both <laughs> meaning? Both meaning the TNT cut that we mentioned and the original uh, cut that was that was originally aired as the pilot. Yes. Oh. Uh, and did you survive? I did. I did. As a matter of fact, if I had had more time, I was even considering watching again the tnt cut with the commentary uh that's on the dvd but i didn't have time for that so i'm not quite that obsessively prepared this time Whew, it's well, probably you, a good thing well well how did you watch it and uh how, and what did you think of it well i i watched it with my my spouse steven who has never seen babylon 5 at all before i mean he well he had said he had flipped past it a couple of times um early on in its run and it was always people talking in hallways and that looked boring to him so he never bothered bothered talk to about it. a mixed marriage <laughs> i know well when he said that he said people talking in hallways i said excuse me the you know the, the joke about doctor who is it's all running in corridors and you don't have a problem with that so i think you should watch babylon 5 so he sat down and watched it with me and it was it was interesting because on my last rewatch uh, a year ago i genuinely found this cringeworthy i had i had already actually it had been a while since i had seen any babylon 5 at that point and i had you know i think maybe my memory elevated my expectations just a little bit and i was honestly if if anybody had been with me at that time they would have found me to be visibly uncomfortable because i was genuinely cringing um i think i fall kind of on on 
the farther end of the spectrum from Shannon, I, I thought that there was a lot of exposition dumping and that the many of the performances were just so, so bad that it made me uncomfortable. This time was better. And I think that maybe it's because I had just rewatched the entire run of the the show and maybe it's just because I knew in my heart that it was going to get better. Um, but I still found that the same things that bothered me the, the, the last time through bothered me this time through. Um, but I didn't, I certainly didn't apologize for it or anything beforehand. Cause I didn't want to <laughs> lower Stephen's expectations or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the, there were definitely some good things about it as well. The mystery, like you said, was good. I like the world building and Despite the fact that the exposition dumping was a little bit, felt a little bit clunky, I feel like there's no way to get around that in this particular instance. Because it's got to be clunky because right. you need to have buy-in from, you know, the the people with the money who are making decisions about whether or not the show's going to work. If you have somebody who says right up front, sure, you don't need to make a pilot. We will give you this many episodes and you can just go with it. Well, then you can play things out and take it a little bit slower to give the background and, and build this world. But when you don't have that and you have to make a pilot and hand it over and say, okay, this is what we're going to do you really do have to do all of that world building front loaded. And that's what we get here. Hmm. You know, I, I might argue with you that a bit, but I'm not sure. Uh, just because I'm arguing doesn't mean I'm correct. Um, next time we'll be talking about the first episode of the series proper midnight on the firing line. And compared to the gathering this episode, and I'm not going to spoil, but midnight on the firing line compared to the gatherings moves like a bullet train. Mm hmm. And I'm also reminded of Firefly and the way um, Fox insisted, instead of running with the pilot first, that they started with the train job, which was an episode that mentioned backstory just enough to help the person who was just tuning in for the first time. But it moved like uh, every just about every other episode of uh, Firefly would move. I wonder if the gathering really needed to do all that world building. Hmm. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there, and I don't, I don't really have the answer for that. But anyway, that was your reaction. What about the newbie? What about, what about your husband, Stephen from Radio Free Scarrow, who loves all kinds of horrible classic Doctor Who episodes, but had never t- had the nerve to try Babylon Five. Uh, he, you know, he didn't say anything at first when it finished and, and I, I turned to him and I was like, finally, I was like, okay, well, what'd you think? And he's like, it was a little creaky. <laughs> that was his response, <laughs> which I think is a completely 100% fair response because it, it is a little bit creaky. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pilot. If you look at the pilot for just about anything, it's, it's, it's very rare that you get something that is glorious and amazing right off the bat. And it, I think that he recognized that and he's he he knows that he's going to be sitting and watching all of this with me. So I, I don't think he's necessarily making 100 um, percent uh, huge judgments yet. But he didn't he didn't seem negative about it. It was just sort of like I'm I'm holding my breath and just sort of waiting to see what happens. I am reserving judgment. So he wasn't on the ledge. No, no, I don't think he was. But I think I think my vast positivity for how how good it gets later sort of has him um, he feels pretty confident that it's it's going to pick up 
from here. So I think the things that that he didn't like, like I asked him specifically, you know, some of the performances and and they were all pretty much things that I completely agreed with. So, OK, well, let's go back. To, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. But uh, talking about the ledge, well, let's sort of segue. Uh, some of our listeners have never watched Babylon 5 before. The Gathering is their first thing. How should they react to what they saw? Uh, if they didn't like it, if they're questioning about it, uh, you know, if if you are a listener and you're thinking about getting off of the Babylon 5 train before it even started, Erica is here to help you. Erica, take it away. Yeah, I, I would like to, to point out, just in case you didn't hear it in our, our last episode zero, that I did not start with this the first time that I started watching Babylon 5. I sort of meandered in around season two or three, somewhere in there. And it completely hooked me and sucked me in. So it, it, it's very clear that that I, I really like Shannon's analogy of, you know, a giant ship that you have to like, it takes a while to get it going when you when you start it up and start stoking the engines. Um, it's not necessarily running super fast right away. So I do think that I have a different perspective on it coming at it uh, having started in the middle, uh, then then you you poor folks who are watching this is your very first Babylon Five experience. But there are a lot of good things in here, so I, I recommend taking a moment, sitting back, and thinking about the things that you did like about it. Because I hope that there were a few things in there that you enjoyed, and realize that those things are going to be exponentially increased as time goes on. Things it really does pick up steam. It really does get better and very fast. I think so. I, I please get off the ledge. Please don't jump. Please stay with us because <laughs> I promise it gets better. Yeah. Let me let me point out one example, one scene. Garibaldi and Londo. After uh after the vote's been taken and it looks like Sinclair is going to be shipped off to the Vorlon homeworld, home probably to die, because nobody ever comes back. Garibaldi basically uh gives Londo what for, because Londo uh was one of the was one of the votes that uh sent Sinclair packing. And Londo explains that he was being blackmailed by Jakar. He's really sorry. And Garibaldi asks, but would you have would you have done it any differently? And Londo says, no, I wouldn't have. You're going to see lots of moments like that when uh, a character reveals his or her weakness and just sort of accepts it and is regretful or whatever. But, you know, it is what it is. And I, I love that scene. And that's an example of the sort of thing that you're going to see a lot of in Babylon 5. Any other um, any other bits, uh, Shannon and Erica, from The Gathering that uh, new viewers should sort of latch on to and say, you know, this is what the show is going to be like? I can think of one they don't have to worry about. Those blasted gravity rings will never be seen again. <laughs> Uh, that was one of the scenes that, you know, we talk about cringing. That was one that had me cringing <laughs> very hard. One thing I would like to point out is the fact that 
just from the very beginning on, this show is incredibly multicultural and more evenly gendered than you see in a lot of shows, even today. Yes. I mean, it's just completely ahead of its time. That's not something that I was watching for at the time. So I, I did not notice in the least when I was watching it the first time through. Uh, but now that I've been on Verity for a while, like this sort of thing, we talk about it a lot. It, it tends to jump out at me. And you have characters from all different races. You have plenty of female characters, both in positions of power and positions of no power. And I think that that is something that they managed to carry through really well. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. Even if you're from another planet, there is representation for you on Babylon 5. Sure enough. Um, So The Gathering, uh, it's a murder mystery it is, or an attempted murder mystery. It's political intrigue. It's world building. You see who the Narn, the Minbari, the Centauri, the the Vorlons are there just to be cryptic, and that uh, that's that's going to continue for a while, dear listener. And and you have humans that, unlike your Star Trek stereotype, relate to each other in all kinds of different ways. Um, Takashima and Doctor Kyle uh, sort of plotting on their own to uh, get the telepath to scan Kosh and keep it a secret from Sinclair, uh, you know, things like that, schemes within schemes. That's the rich tapestry world of Babylon 5, and um, it is going to get so much better. It is. One thing I love about Babylon 5 is a lot of the times you think about space opera as a show about heroes, like especially the original Star Trek, which, you know, is great in many ways, but that's a show about heroes, dudes that are getting things done. This is a show about real people. Yes, there are heroes, but more often than not, you have real people with regular old weaknesses that do something heroic every once in a while. And I think that that, to me, is a little bit, it's richer. I like it. Yeah. E- even a little bit like the 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 so the stereotypical captain's girlfriend uh character um not played particularly well the character Carolyn Sykes uh but there is one nice moment when she confronts Delin it's implied but not explicitly spelled out that Delin and Sinclair have been friends for a while that uh Sykes as by virtue of having a relationship with Sinclair, has gotten to know Delin somewhat as well. And Sykes goes after Delin, calls her on not standing up for her friend. Um this is not a this is not a character that's just sort of uh clutching her heart and saying, Oh, 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 Jeffrey, whatever, whatever, however will you survive this? You know, she actually <laughs> stands up for her man. I, I like that scene. I really do. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if it may not have been played pitch perfectly, agreed. One last bit. Uh, let's talk about our what we saw as the strengths and weaknesses of the gathering, and then I'll have a couple of thoughts about what we'll be looking forward to in the next episode, and then we'll go into spoiler territory. So, um, Shannon, what did you think the strengths and weaknesses of the gathering were? Pretty much like I've like I've mentioned before that it had a a strong mystery plot um with layers the political intrigues the um the setting up of diplomatic ties and things to uh support it uh that i think helped hold it together really well not quite as fond of you know and this is you know in so many pilot episodes uh, the the some of the makeup they were learning they were figuring it out trying to figure out um just how these characters were going to look um, there, there's a bit of that there. 
On the plus side, the exposition wasn't, there weren't too many huge big dumps of it. On the minus side, there were a lot of small references, kind of constant, that made me feel a bit like, you know, coming back to it and having seen most of the rest of the episodes. I felt for a little while like I'm really going to have to pay close attention because almost all of this felt important. It was a bit of a strain to try and maintain my attention to um, the plot as well as these background bits that were being shoved in. For me, I I liked the environment. Um, Even though the sets may have felt a little cheap, um, I I liked the lived-in, sort of gritty, working environment of the space station. Even even Deep Space Nine, you know, that that first pilot episode uh, where uh, Commander Sisko's getting his hands dirty, helping uh, Major Kira clean up the place. Even even so, the the set looks too darn clean. Uh, Babylon Five, it, Babylon Five feels like a real place, a real underfunded place. Um, I also liked the characterization. Uh, we got to know these characters with an economy of dialogue. I thought, you know, you had your scenes, you had your Londo scenes, you had um, Jakar having his smarmy moment with uh, Lita Alexander, which is just hysterical. <laughs> Would you like to be conscious or unconscious for the mating? Um, and, but also just losing his temper completely uh, with Delin, and then you know. As bad as the magic ring sequence was, and we repeat, there will be no more magic technology in the in the series. That was just over the top. Um, you know, he goes from losing his temper to quietly dangerous to completely cowed to all the way at the end, really, really scared because he's got this nanotechnology in his intestines that they're going to do awful things to him. You know, <laughs> it is a it is a wonderfully re- well-rounded performance by uh, a character who you're going to see a lot more of in a lot of different ways later in. Uh, weaknesses. Some of the dialogue was just painfully lazy and just feels it feels inexperienced, which, you know, JMS is a experienced script writer but this is space opera this is the first time he's doing space opera and you know even that that closing line when um after the assassin's been taken care of and uh sinclair says you know coffee sugars and aspirin that's an awful cringeworthy line it's a one of those ha 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 moments that you'd almost expect to see on an old star trek and the painful alien prosthetics and the flimsy props but all in all i liked it what about you erica well, I, I'm afraid I have a lot more weaknesses than strengths because I just I can't call myself a fan of this episode except for the fact that it sets the foundation for so many things that I love later on. Um, when it comes to, say, you know, the props and the sets and stuff, I don't really care about the makeup and the cheapness of, of, of the way things look. I, I grew up a Doctor Who fan, so pretty much I can handle anything as far as that goes. So I don't have a problem with that part of things. But I do have issues with some of the, the dialogue, like you said, and also some of the the, the goofiness of some of the writing, um, especially around uh, Lita, the telepath, when, when you have those kind of like just really over-the-top obvious gags. Hey, I'm a telepath! You know, uh, yeah, can I see your? And she flashes her identicard, and then the captain says, uh, or the commander says, identicard. Or you know, and she's like, I just mm-hmm. knew you were gonna say that. I was just, I groaned internally, and uh, yeah, and and I would also like to um, let people know that that kind of stuff does sort of go away. You don't get anything that's that wah 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 sort of <laughs> silly. Um, 
<laughs> so so I think that that was maybe a little bit of the inexperience, like you said, coming into to space opera. Um, I, I think everybody's sort of finding their feet a little bit, except, and here's where some of the strengths come in. Um, I completely agree that I think Jakar, uh, Jakar was, was great right off the bat. Um, ca- the characterization was just perfect. Um, and I really enjoyed uh, Londo as well as just, you know, sort of the sad old bureaucrat who's pining for the the lost days of his empire. I think those are sort of the two strongest points if we're talking about simply uh, performance-wise. Um, and Shannon is right that there are not any huge exposition dumps, but I definitely find the frequency with which there are maybe just like exposition drips it's just like chinese water torture like it's just on your head all the time little bits little pieces and i do think that some of that stuff could have been done perhaps a little bit more elegantly Uh, but like i said before you need it you you need to find out what is going on in this world and sometimes being hit with a sledgehammer works just as well yeah uh so the gathering it's a pilot and that, you know, that might be the three word review. It's a pilot. Mm-hmm. What happens next? What happens next time in two weeks? We'll uh, crack open Midnight on the Firing Line, which is episode one of season one. And right off the bat, you'll see a different cast. So the biggest the biggest difference immediately is going to be a different uh, second in command character. Yeah, and again, we have to say this is a pilot because probably like nine times out of ten, when you have a pilot, there's going to be at least one of the major players that doesn't make it into the main series for one right. reason or another. It was a full year before uh, Babylon Five went to series, uh, so uh, most of the time, the pilot, the the rest of the series follows the pilot. So some of the some of the actors left, some of the actors were shown the door. And uh, we got new characters uh, along the way. So Midnight on the Firing Line will feel very different. It's a much stronger episode. Stick with us. You'll like the next one better, I think. But this is not an, this is not an awful episode. I think, I, I think there's a lot to recommend The Gathering. It's just not at anywhere near as good as the show's going to become. Any other final thoughts before we go into spoiler land? Nope, I think that's it. All right, so uh, if you're about to take your leave of us, uh, this is Chip, Shannon, and Erica from the Audio Guide to Babylon 5. Find us on Twitter at B5AudioGuide, and we're on the web at B5AudioGuide.com. Thank you so much for listening to us, and uh uh-oh, here comes that jump tape. How about that makeup for Delenn? Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. You know, I I was watching it with Steven, and like I said, he hadn't seen much of it. But he was like, does her makeup change? Because she looks different from the bits I remember seeing. And I was like, yes. I can't explain why they decided to change it. If I tell you what the original concept of the character was, it will spoil something else. But just trust me, it, it's better. And it's good that way. Yeah, you're a really good spouse to not explain all of that. Uh, so... Um, let's start off with, uh, the fact, and this isn't exactly, uh, stuff that, that necessarily belongs in the spoiler section, but Erica, you actually watched both the original cut and the TNT re-edit of The Gathering. What did you, what, what did you come away with? I, you know, I, this was the first time I had ever seen the original cut. 
because by the time I got around to watching the gathering and going back to the beginning and starting from there, they had already released the TNT cut. So this was completely new territory for me. I, I watched the, the TNT cut with Steven. He went off to play music somewhere and I <laughs> was home and I was like, all right, I am going to, you know, dial up Amazon and, and get myself the original and compare. And it was at the same time, more different than I expected, but it still, it didn't make a difference at all, really, as far as, as what you take away, I think, from, from the characters. I think the TNT cut is much smoother. Uh, it's, it's shorter. Uh, they get rid of a lot of sort of fluff that they don't need. Um, and there are, there are a few scenes that they added in that weren't in the original cut, so there are a lot of, of differences that you can point to. You can be like, this is different and this scene is longer. And here they do something really weird. For example, the the lascivious scene between Jakar and Lita. Um, it's it Basically, you take the same thing away from it. But in the original cut, they have a, a, a thing where Jakar asks if he could um, initiate silence. I can't remember the, the word. The privacy mode or something like that. Yeah, in, He invokes privacy. That's what it is. It's in my notes. Um, and you have this weird, like the lighting changes and there's like this weird lit circle around them and everything else is kind of dark and suddenly you can't hear anything else uh, going on in the room around them which is just like it was it was like it was something out of D&D basically <laughs> <laughs> it's like are we suddenly playing a role playing game um and so the I, I feel like most of the things that they chopped out made really good sense to take out because they didn't fit with the continuity of the rest of the series as it ended up as it ended up running um and the thing that people had mostly pointed at as being the biggest difference was the the music the incidental music um because this was the Stuart copeland soundtrack and i guess i've just never been a person who notices the music and stuff that much because i i if i like would pay attention i'd be like oh yeah that is different but it didn't bother me at all and when i wasn't consciously making myself point my brain at it, I really didn't notice. Mm. Now, there was one thing that uh, we were talking before the show, and uh, I, I pointed out something that you might that I think you might have glossed over, uh, but mm -hmm. there is one line of dialogue that's been added that uh, was not in the original um, broadcast. That just, if the people, we we, we we completely gave this a miss when we were talking to the um, new people at the beginning of the podcast, but Lita's in Kosh's mind. She's revisiting Kosh, greeting wh who he thought was Commander Sinclair, and we hear his inner dialogue as he says, Intilza Valen. Holy yeah. crap. Yeah, I don't know how I, f I think that's the one thing that I I'm not on board with them adding that in because I mean, yeah, I understand how it's kind of like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink uh, to the people who maybe are rewatching and know it's coming. And maybe it's a little bit of a seed that's being planted for anybody who's paying really close attention. But uh, honestly, I, I think... If I had been paying close attention and I had figured it out from that, I would be annoyed. I would much rather have just been surprised the way I ended up being surprised. Yeah. Coming at it completely cold. I don't know. I think it's vague enough. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Do they even mention the Mimbari religion for the first few episodes? I don't remember any other references. So it, it goes far enough along that viewers, even if they were paying attention, it, it's something that might have slipped their mind at the time. But then you go back and rewatch and you're like, you know, oh, yeah. I don't think 
It feels yeah, more like Yeah, I don't that think they me. actually, I don't think they mention him until uh, Parliament of Dreams when um, they're doing the uh, rebirth ceremony, uh, mm-hmm. which is about five episodes into the series. Um, just as a little bit of background, um, when TNT picked up the series, uh, they ran the, they ran in the beginning, the, uh, prequel movie, and then they immediately followed that with the re-edit of The Gathering. And in that re-edit, you get the, um, you get all of the changes that Erica's mentioned, uh, we get the Intilza Valen, um, inner monologue, and we also get the dropped in the dropped-in repeated sounds of uh, when uh, Sinclair's describing the Battle of the Line, and they they drop in the they drop in the uh, the the dialogue and sound effects from um, that episode of uh, of of season one, which and that was kind of painful actually. I set my ship to ram them. Set ship, set course to a full velocity ram, you know, that sort sort of thing. So, But that's that's how it was. You just had uh, people who were watching it that night on TNT had just seen the Battle of the Line reveal where the Mimbari thought that Sinclair was the reincarnation of Valen. And then immediately you're watching The Gathering and you get mm. the you get the Intilza Valen line. That may have worked really, really well for that one night of first-run television, but I don't know that it serves um, new viewers well who are watching it with us right now. Yeah. Okay. Putting it into context like that, I can I can understand why they did it, and I, I agree that probably was for that sliver of the population that experienced it experienced it in that way. Yes, I think that was probably a good thing. Yeah, but here we are yeah, in man. a totally yeah. different place. Here we are. They did better. With, they did better with other foreshadowing. I think. Yeah. Well, there, there were let's 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 throw the baton over to Shannon because you were the one who were actually who was actually taking notes, and uh, <laughs> you picked up on a lot of stuff that was foreshadowing the rest of the series. If I'm right, uh, maybe not a lot, but certainly several things. You know, mm-hmm. leaped out watching again from the perspective of what happened later. There's both foreshadowing and and the establishment of characters that you only see the barest glimpses of what they're going to wind up becoming as their as their arcs go up and down and up and turn left and do all of these things. But uh things like um the hints of the Centauri, the the entire arc of the, the Centauri homeworld. You've got Londo making constant references to we were great once and oh if we could be great again, you know, we're going to, you know, cling like remoras to your Earth Alliance in the hopes of finding it again. And, you know, what happens is, well, Londo actually makes the deal with the devil that does, you know, appear to bring the Centauri Empire back to power and greatness only it's a poison chalice and um the price winds up being too high for him to pay um so you get the tiniest dribs and drabs of that there's the doctor's casual mention of needing to take stims as he's taking care of kosh to to stay awake and well look what happens to um to the second doctor to to steve Shoot, I can't think of Stephen Franklin. Um, yeah, pl- pl- Franklin. please, please don't Thank call him you. the second Doctor. That brings to mind other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, but Doctor Franklin, you know, winds up having the entire arc of where he does get addicted to stims because he can't handle it all, and he put he punishes himself with such a schedule. So there's these little bits like that that get thrown in. You know, we we get the beginning of Garibaldi's constantly being someone everyone else doubts. 
And, you know, that turns around and bites them all in the butt there as well, because, um, you know, he winds up being subverted by Bester. So there, there's all these little bits that, you know, are going to come into play later on. Any other uh, things that had resonances for you as a uh, veteran of the show, Erica? I think for me, it was just kind of fascinating to look at these characters in their, well, television infancy, because I think Londo is the one that stood out to me the most. I mean, Jakar, we know, goes through, you know, a great big change and becomes a, a totally different character by the end, but he's still got that same sort of heart, and that was wonderful. But I had sort of forgotten how sad Londo is at the beginning. He's just world-weary and beaten down. He's falling asleep in the middle of a council meeting. I mean, and he just, he really is pining away for the lost days of his empire. And I I think for some reason I had kind of forgotten about that. And I feel like they do a really, really good job of establishing it here. And, and that really does make the choices that he makes later on make sense. And they do resonate with truth because you have this so strongly established that this is this is that guy. He he's living in the past, he's living in a dream. And when he once he gets the chance to sink his teeth into that for real, of course he's going to go for it. And I, I don't know why that never really stuck quite as strongly for me as it did in this rewatch or both of these rewatches. Uh, but it really stood out and I thought that was fantastic. So let's recap. The commander from Central Casting is going to disappear and is then going to become God. Well, Jesus. <laughs> um, the second in command is going to disappear, never to be seen again. Side note, she was originally going to be the mole um, responsible for right. shooting uh, Garibaldi in the back. And we, the audience, would know this, but um, the characters, including... Lieutenant Commander Takashima herself would not know this uh, until later on. Benjamin Kyle, gone, never to be seen again. Jakar, another Jesus figure. Londo, what, what, what can you say? He's going to be every, he's going to be every character <laughs> practically in the world. Uh, light to dark to tragic uh, to finally kind of sort of redeemed. Delenn would have changed genders, certainly changes appearance, and uh, becomes the wife of an entirely new character. I am amazed at how much Babylon 5 changes from this pilot organically throughout all five years. Mm -hmm. And yet you can still draw a straight line between each one of those characters and where they came from. There's, there's no break in that continuity. It all makes sense. Yeah, it just it hit me as we were listing characters. Delin from the pilot to the first season and season maybe maybe season and a half the 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 way she clenches onto neutrality that the, the Mimbari aren't taking sides whether from the abstaining vote to everything she does for Sinclair is under the table you know she is not officially helping him but here here's the files you need and um you know you don't know where you you know that little bird dropped them from the sky or whatever that that whole stance that represents what the Mimbari do for far too long until the conflict is, you know, practically dragged to their door and they have to step in. Things like that get really firmly established here. Yeah. I enjoyed watching it. And I, I can forgive a lot because I know where the show is going. But, um, you know, it, it, it does get so much better. 
I think the thing yeah. that made me do the biggest double take was seeing Ed Wasser in like the very first <laughs> scene. And I mean, again, I am a Doctor yes. Who fan and there's Doctor Who recycles actors like tissues. So, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with an actor playing one character and then showing up later to play a different character who is more central and important. But I had forgotten that he was in there like right off the bat. And I was just... Oh, double take. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sure there was tons and tons of fan fiction explaining why Mr. Morden was calling himself <laughs> Guerra and was working on the station at that time. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Uh, Erica and Shannon, enjoyed watching this with you. Uh, I look forward to watching Midnight on the Firing Line in a couple of weeks. And I think that that is enough for tonight. Okay. So, for the audio guide to Babylon 5, this is Chip from Durham. Erica from Edmonton. And Shannon from Durham. And we'll be back in two weeks with Midnight on the Firing Line. Take care. Mm-hmm.